All right, quick recap again. Romans 7, 1 through 6, Paul explained to us that we as Christians are not under the law because we died to the law in Christ. And now we belong to Christ. Because we belong to Christ, we're to serve God in a new way, in the way of the Spirit. And that's where we hit a pause button on Romans 7 and did our study on the Holy Spirit. And so everything that you heard for those four weeks about the Holy Spirit and what you heard from Romans 7, 1 through 6, you need to put all that together so we can move forward. If you're like, this is my first time here, sorry. I'll do the best I can for you. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us something about God's law. And my hope is that we'll have a better understanding of God's law and its relationship to us. Before I move any further, though, it is important to note that Jesus fulfilled God's law perfectly. You have not. Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. And the law itself actually pointed to something greater than itself, namely Jesus. The old covenant has been replaced with the new covenant. And that was brought in with Jesus' death, with his blood in particular. Keep your finger marked in Romans 7. I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 8. And I just want to set the, the groundwork here of this new covenant. Listen, follow along as I read Hebrews 8, starting in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve, look at this, a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. The priest in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting, the temple, all the things that we see in the Old Testament concerning the law and the sacrifices were a shadow of the real that was to come, Christ. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. A pattern, if it's a pattern, that means there's something else, something greater. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the, than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Do you see this idea? Old covenant, new covenant, there needed to be another one that would come. Quoting the Old Testament here in verse 8, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
for they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Look at this. I will put my laws into their minds, and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul speaking about being a minister of a new covenant. Listen to this. Such is the confidence that we have toward Christ, through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This new covenant is mentioned in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. In this new covenant, God will take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, and His Spirit will dwell inside of us. Even in Luke 22, verse 20, at the, when the Lord has the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with the disciples, He talks about His blood, and He says that this is the blood of the new covenant, His blood. Why do I say all that? I want you to understand that there is an old covenant and there is the new covenant. And when it comes to the new covenant, Christ is the fulfillment. But how does this relate to God's law? Let me explain to you that God's law, specifically in the Old Testament, has been divided up into three categories in general by theologians and pastors. Three different categories, God's law that was under the old covenant has been divided up. These categories are helpful when we try to figure out which laws we're supposed to obey. How many of you have believed or been told that you have to eat a certain type of food if you're a follower of God? Can't have pork. There's conversations about tattoos. Should we keep the Sabbath? Should we not? How do all these things apply if Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and fulfilled the law? He is the fulfillment. What does it mean for us today? These three different categories have been helpful. So on your notes, I've divided them up for you and in general how theologians and pastors look at the law. There's the moral law, and these are the laws of God that are unchanging, and all people are held accountable by them and to them. This would be the idea of the Ten Commandments and others. Thou shall not murder is a great example. Guess what? That is part of the moral law and it is for all times, all places, all peoples. And yes, that includes babies. All times, all places, all peoples. That is the moral law. It does not change. It is built in the character of God. Then there's other times you read in the Old Testament and you see the ceremonial law. These laws were given specifically to the nation of Israel and Christians do not need to obey them. This would be things that have to do with sacrifice in particular or circumcision. Those things are ceremonial. They were to set Israel apart as this holy nation. It was in a particular time to those people. We cannot confuse those and try to put those on Christians. 
In fact, Paul said that if they were to circumcise the Gentiles, if they were to make them to do that, that would be sin. These things do not apply. Then there's the judicial law. These laws were, again, given at specific times, and they were given. They do not necessarily in the same way need to be obeyed, but there is great wisdom that should be gleaned from these laws and used in all governments and nations. There's some debate on this. Let me tell you up front, there would be some Christians that say, we do need to obey those. I would disagree with that, but they have their case. You can research that some. What I would argue is that there is wisdom from those that we need to apply to our laws and our land. Maybe some we need to obey completely, but the following of the moral law and the judicial law, that is not so that we might be saved. Jesus obeyed it perfectly. So then the question is, well, why do these, still laws, why do these laws still exist? How are they helpful to us? As you go through, I did print out an article for you in your notes. We're not going to read through those, but I want you to take that home with you, the threefold use of the law by R.C. Sproul. It should be helpful for you as you consider these things. You need to realize that God's law is good, holy, and righteous because God himself is good, holy, and righteous. And the passage that we're going to be in today, the reason I'm laying this groundwork is Paul is going to interact with the law, and specifically I believe he's interacting with the moral law of God. Not as much the judicial or the ceremonial, though some commentators would hold to that, but it seems to me that he's holding to the moral law here. When the moral law is used in the New Testament, and thus for you, there are three different ways that the moral law is used. Okay, remember, we have the three different laws, or categories of laws in the Old Testament. The ceremonial, which would not be for us. The moral, which is for all of us. And those judicial, I would argue there is wisdom from those. On the moral side, there are three ways that that law is used. If you look on the back of your notes. It is a mirror for us. So the law is given as a mirror. So if some of you were to have dirt on your nose, or when some of you woke up this morning, you went into the bathroom, and you looked at your mirror, and you said, oh, I am not this old. I look tired. Or some of you said, I am this old. It's a reflection shows who you are the first use of the law the moral law in particular is to show you that you are in need of a savior it's to show you that you are a sinner in need of a savior that's going to be the way paul uses it in this passage but let me just share with you the other two ways that the law is used the moral law in particular the moral law is also used to restrain evil in a society when we follow the moral law that God has given, like do not murder, when we have laws that match that, it restrains evil in a society. That would be the second use of the law. One of the reasons that our country in the past especially has done well in the sense of being a nation that I would argue in many ways honored God was because our laws were closely linked to the things in Scripture and closely linked to the moral law. As you go away from that, you reap what you sow. And that's what we're seeing. 
Evil is now pressing in because we do not have to have the laws to restrain it back. That's the second use. The third use of the law, the moral law in particular, is to show you what pleases God. So that you could walk in a way worthy of God. Not so that you'll be saved, but because you're saved, you can read in the Scriptures the things that please Him and live a life according to that so that He would receive glory and it would be for your good. When it says that you're to be married if God has that for you and not commit adultery, that's good for you. It's good for your family, and it glorifies God. So we as Christians want to, by the power of the Spirit, follow the law in that way. Again, not to fulfill it, Christ already did that. But because he has fulfilled it, because he has given us this new covenant, a new heart, the new man or woman, we then want to follow. So, that's the introduction. In this passage, I want to argue that Paul is using that first usage of the law, the moral law in particular, as a mirror for you and for him. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to actually start in verse 1 because it's been a little bit since we've read through that. Romans 7, beginning verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You'll remember this when we died to the law, we are now free in Christ. The same thing he uses as an example, a human example. Verse 2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. That's the example Paul used to explain the principle. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God, for his name. We would bear fruit for his glory in his name. Verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. That's where we left off, so now here's our text for today. Verse 7. Paul's taking us down this logical train argument. He's been doing it throughout the book of Romans. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So he starts off here and he says, what are we supposed to say? Since, since the law seemed to come in and cause a lot of issues for us in sin, are we to say that the law is sin? His answer? No. The law cannot be sin because God, our God who is holy, righteous, and good, made the law. The law itself cannot be sinful then. But there he says, this is the mirror part, watch. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it was not to covet if the law didn't come and tell me. What I want to share with you is like this. Some of you drive to and from Dollar General or to Gainesville regularly. Some of you may be guests, and the first time you come around, you might be just cruising, and you get to this hill, and you're cruising around 
60, I'm sure most of you, maybe 55 even. And you come to that hill, and you're just a cruising right along, and there's a yellow sign there. Mr. Eddie loves to point it out to us. There's a yellow sign that tells you that you're actually supposed to go, how fast is it? 45, 45 when you come to that hill. I know you all are smiling right now. Now, if you don't see that sign, you're cruising at 60 and you're just going. But then you're made aware of that sign. You were breaking the law before you saw the sign, were you not? If you're just cruising through, doing 60. But I didn't know. I wasn't aware that that was the speed. That's what Paul's talking about here. Before, he, he wasn't aware. It wasn't that he was innocent. He was still breaking God's law. He just wasn't aware of it. And then somebody pointed it out to him, specifically the Spirit through the Word, pointed out to Paul, this is the law of God. Just like Mr. Eddie and others like to point out that that's 45 miles per hour. And when you were made aware that it's 45 miles per hour there, yeah, yeah. Instead of slowing down, you said, that doesn't apply to me. You said, that's a stupid law. I can see over that hill. You then decided, even though you knew the law, you decided, that's not going to apply to me. And it brings death. What shall we say then? Verse 7, that the law is sin by no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. I wouldn't have known except now I see a sign. Verse 8, but sin from your sinful nature... The deceitfulness of sin, watch this. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. From apart from the law, sin lies dead. Here's what happens, Paul says. When he found out that he wasn't supposed to covet, he said, I'm still going to do it because of his sinful nature. When you see that sign, you say, I'm still going to do it because of your sinful nature. You say, I'm going to decide what's right. And that's what all of us have done. And Paul is saying in particular, he did with God. It's what we do. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. This doesn't mean he was saved or anything like that. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The Apostle Paul I have on your notes here. When the realization of the law comes, we respond with willful disobedience and we see that we are actually dead and we say I'm going to do it anyway and that's what kills us is that sinful nature that we have and you again it's not that you sin so thus it makes you a sinner it's that you are a sinner and so thus you sin now watch this the very commandment that promised life verse 10 prove to be death to me the Apostle Paul, two, two ways to take this. One, when we see the commandments, if we think, oh, I can, I can fulfill those. I could do that. I could do more good than bad. I could probably fulfill those. It will kill you. 
Sin will tell you and your pride will tell you, you can do it, you can do it. You can't. Christ had to obey it perfectly. You would think if I'm able to keep the law, then I would be okay. You're not. He repeats again here, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Brothers and sisters, you need to be aware, and I need to tell you today, that sin is deceitful. In one sense, we we see it and we think we can overcome it on our own. You cannot. And at the same time, you know what else that also happens? Sin sneaks in, and we begin to justify it. It's okay. Whoever put that sign there, they didn't really understand driving. That sign's yellow. That must mean it's optional. Maybe it means it's at night. Brothers and sisters, it's deceitful. In your notes, I have Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Listen to what this says. Hebrews, 12, or Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Look what we're supposed to do. Verse 13. But exhort one another every once in a while. Every day. As long as it is called what? That none of you may be hardened by the what? The deceitfulness of sin. Part of the gift that, the God, that God has given, that the Spirit uses, is one another to exhort each day so the deceitfulness of sin doesn't get in and lead us astray. Verse 14 there in that Hebrews passage, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original con- confidence firm till the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Back into Romans. Sin has seized the opportunity through the commandment, deceiving us, and through it it kills us. But here's what Paul says in verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There's nothing wrong with the commandment and the law, but the problem is us and our nature. But praise be to God that under the new covenant that you're given a new nature as well. It doesn't mean that you don't have the sinful nature inside, but you actually would have these two natures, if you will. This new one and the old one. And they are at battle. And what we need, going back to the weeks before, is the Spirit of God to help us. And the Spirit of God works with the new man or woman to be able to walk in step with the Spirit And not be under the law. Last verse here, he says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? Answer? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order. Now here's why. Here's why it happens. Watch this. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. Wouldn't you want to obey your God? Don't you want to know what pleases him? Don't you want to know things that he doesn't like and things that he likes? I want to do things you like, God. 
I love you, Jesus. I want to do the things that you want, not these other things. Here's the problem. Your flesh is saying, no, you don't. You want to do these things over here. The new man, the heart is saying, I have this desire to do this, but I can't do it on my own. I need the Spirit's help to guide me. In order that sin might be shown to be sin, that it would be clear to us, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure so we can see that we absolutely need a Savior. That's what Paul's talking about with the law here. So I have six things for you to take away before we take the Lord's Supper together. The first thing that I have for you is that you should praise God that He is good, holy, and righteous and that His law is good, holy, and righteous. Just praise Him for that. God, I praise You that Your Word and that Your law is good. The second, praise God that Jesus fulfilled the law for you. Jesus, born of a virgin, so his sinful nature doesn't have that like we do. He lives that perfect life, fulfilling the law perfectly, the life that you should have lived, I should have lived, he lives it for us. And then, even though he's innocent, he dies the death that we should have died. But death couldn't hold him. So after three days, he rises for our justification, defeating sin, Satan, and death. Praise God that Jesus fulfilled the law for you. The third thing, use the law to see sin for what it is and don't be deceived by it. As you read the word, ask the Spirit to show you. Don't let me be deceived, God. Show me what's going on here. Fourth, I encourage you to try to influence lawmakers. To make laws that line up with God's moral law and that draw wisdom from some of God's judicial laws. This is part of our role. This goes back to our God over government series. We as Christians are the people responsible for letting the government know when they have gone against God's law. If you didn't know, I'll fill you in this morning. The government is under God. Everyone is under God. Our job is to remind them of that. When they do well, we say good job. When they do not do well, we say, bad job. The fifth, be resolved by the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God's law because it is good for you and it glorifies Him, His moral law. Don't covet, don't gossip, don't steal. By the power of the Spirit, obey that. It glorifies Him and it's good for you. I promise, even though when you get in that situation and you think, I really need to lie in this situation to get out of this because my wife is going to kill me. My boss is going to kill me. My friend's going to kill me. I need to lie or not just tell the full truth. I promise you that's not good for you. And it doesn't glorify God. Last, live under the new covenant that Jesus purchased for you with his blood. Live under the new covenant. Don't try to fulfill the law so that Jesus or so that God will accept you. Jesus has accepted you, so live freely under the covenant. 